Welcome to Missionary Talks, where we talk with missionaries and learn about their lives and work. Today on Missionary Talks, I'm talking with missionary Brad Rhodes. I interviewed Brad a couple of years ago, and I just wanted to get back with him. I, a listener had written me and asked me to contact him again and catch up with him and find out what's going on. So, Brad, can you uh, tell us a little bit about what's happened in the last two years in your ministry? The, the last time we talked, you were still raising your support to move to Idaho and be part of MAF. So what's happened since then? Right. Well, we talked in uh, February of 08, I believe it was, and it took us until uh, November of 08 to uh, get our support level to where we could transition to doing uh, the work that I uh, was, you know, what, that I joined MEF to do. Uh, so it was, we moved to uh, Nampa, Idaho in November of 08. Mission Aviation Fellowship headquarters is in Nampa. So actually, we had officially joined MAF in July of 07, and it took us until November of 08 to get our support level up to where it needed to be. The fundraising process uh, was a challenge, and uh, I think it's probably meant to be by God. I think he uses that time to to grow us in a lot of different ways, to humble us and um, uh, get us to where we're uh, really depending on him instead of uh, on our on ourselves. Do you have any particular examples uh, that you would like to share? Maybe if somebody's looking at going into missions and doing their fundraising, what are some of the things you struggled with, and what were some of the surprising blessings that you had uh, in the process? I ran my own business for about ten years. So I'd done some sales before, and uh, I was okay at it. I wasn't a great salesperson. but So when I kind of got started, I was like, well, you know, I've done this before. I can do this. We come from a pretty large church, a very missions-minded church, and I really kind of expected that, um, you know, day one we would be at about 50% of our support just from our home church alone. Uh, Things turned out very differently than I expected when when we started. First of all, what I learned pretty quickly was that um, raising funds for missions is really different than sales because, in you know, in sales, you know, I, I was selling computer services, so you know, I would call you up, find out if you had a need that I could solve. Um, I did a good job for you, delivered what I promised. You say, yeah, I'm happy. You write me a check. And we're good, and the you know the relationship is you know really clearly understood. Um, uh, so sales, you know, is all about business. And then it turns out that you know fundraising for missions is um, all about relationships. It's uh, it's uh, all very personal. So you end up calling people you haven't talked to in a long time, and that feels a little uncomfortable, perhaps, because you know do. You, I really do care about them, but yet I haven't called them in a long time. And so, you know, I just felt kind of awkward about that. So that, that was a challenge. Um, I, I guess the other thing that was maybe a bit surprising was it turned out that all of the people that we expected to support us didn't for the most part. And then the people that did support us many of which were huge surprises. 
in, in the end, we uh, were supported by our home church pretty significantly. And over the, the, the course of a year and a half, probably does turn out that between the church itself and individuals there, we get, we're getting about 50% of our support from there. But it wasn't at all a overnight process. The coolest thing, I think, about, uh, about the fundraising process, though, was if you're a pastor, a lot of the times you don't have anybody you can talk to, you know, especially at you know, smaller churches uh, where there's you know, the pastor. Uh, these guys don't have a lot of people they can talk to. So there were a number of people, another number of pastors that I was able to, uh, you know, counsel with and, and, and pray with. And a couple of them have, uh, you know, actually gotten to be, you know, personal friends at this point. So uh, that was a really neat thing about it. For those who may not be familiar with MAF, can you tell us in, in just a few words, what is it that MAF does? If there is a missionary somewhere out in the jungle, uh, a doctor who had to get into the jungle, and the only way you could get there is on an airplane, there's a pretty good chance they got there on an MAF airplane. So uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship is primarily about aviation, um, but more generally it's about using technology to take the gospel to the remotest of the remote. And you you mentioned um, a couple of things, particularly in the learning technologies field, that you were working on or would be working on uh, in our last interview. How much of that has has come about, and what kind of new projects do you have slated for in the future? Well, yeah, in the first interview, I talked about uh, wanting to create a USB-based um, training system that was secure and um, portable and all that. Um, and that project uh, actually got done, but um, I wasn't actually part of it, unfortunately. Once I finally got to MAF, uh, that project was well under, underway. And the first thing I did, we have um, two programs, uh, one for creating training, one for delivering training. And there's existing programs out there that, that do that, but most of the existing software that's out there assumes you have a constant high-speed internet connection. And the places where we work, we often don't have any internet connection at all, or if we do, it's slow and or um, sporadic. Uh, so we've had to create these programs that take those constraints into mind. Uh, and so the first thing I did was uh, I did some work on upgrading the uh, delivery uh, program so that it worked uh, in more browsers. Uh, the first version only worked in Internet Explorer. So that wasn't terribly exciting, but yet important. Then the next project I started on and that I'm uh, getting uh, close to wrapping up uh, is a system for creating digital libraries. And that was uh, kind of initiated by a guy in Thailand. Uh, he grew up there as a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries there for like 50, 60 years. And his mom had translated a bunch of materials into, into Thai. And so we're working on getting that stuff uh, uh, digitized and um, uh, put in a, in a database to make it available, discoverable over the internet um, and other things. And, and there's just there's actually lots of examples of that, these collections of Christian materials that are just kind of sitting on a shelf, not of any use to anybody. So this is a system for people to be able to build digital libraries with these materials to make them uh, available to anybody who needs to work in these languages. 
And then how will you deliver that information over the Internet or through these USB thumb drives like the other program? Both of those ways. Um, it'll be delivered online as well as uh, offline via USB drives, via a CD. So the, so the next project that I'm really excited about uh, is to create a what I'm calling a, a celluversity. The idea is to create a completely voice-based interactive training system around cell phones. Uh, there's two really interesting facts about the developing world. One is uh, a great number of these people don't read and write. They, they come from oral societies. And then the second thing is that cell phones, mobile phones, are prolific all over the world. Um, so you could go into the jungle somewhere, find a guy with a bone in his nose talking on a cell phone. Uh, so we're going to kind of take advantage of those two facts and create a mobile interactive learning system. So I'm really excited about getting started on that. How will that work as far as, you know, I, I know we're always concerned about using up our minutes and everything. Is there a way that uh, you would be able to call them? For those who don't live outside the U.S., uh, the United States is kind of unique in that the person who makes the phone call and the person who receives the phone call has to pay for the phone call. But basically everywhere else in the world, it's the person who makes the phone call has to pay. So it, do you have something in that system so that you're calling them or are they having to use their minutes to call and get the information? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way it's going to work is somebody will uh, either send an SMS message, a text message, which also in most other places besides the states is really cheap, or they would call in, let it ring a couple times and hang up. Uh, then either way, we'd, we'd use... Uh, caller ID to get their number and call them back. So we, we call you back and it says, uh, uh, hi Dave, I see that you're enrolled in these three classes. Press or say one for Romans, press or say two for the life of Christ, uh, press or, or say three uh, for um, systematic theology, whatever, whatever the classes are. Um, and then you say uh, two. And he says, okay, hey, I see that you're in the middle of lesson three, and here's some more content and some more content and some more content. And now, Dave, please answer uh, this uh, open-ended question I just asked you about the uh, content uh, that you just heard. And so you record your answer, and that answer then ends up going to your professor mentor, which he gets to listen to either uh, on his cell phone uh, and or via a podcast, and then he records some uh, feedback for you. Next time you log into the system and says, hey, Dave, I see you're in these three classes, uh, and by the way, uh, you've got some feedback. And, and so you get to listen to it that way. Uh, and then so maybe you go into the course one and here's some content, some content, uh, and now please, enter, please answer this multiple choice quiz. Press 1 for A, 2 for B, 3 for C. So that's the idea. It's going to completely be voice-based, but also completely interactive uh, with, with a professor and a mentor. Uh, what would you say to a young man or young lady who is studying in the field of information technology, computers and such, if they felt like they were they were called by God to use their their skills in ministry as in missions, but yet they also feel like they should be 
in the computer field. What kind of things are available out there? What kind of projects could somebody be looking at? Well, um, you know, a Christian organization, like any organization, needs everything. You know, we need accountants and we need computer programmers and uh, anything any organization needs, Christian mission organizations need need as well. Uh, so there, so there's all the uh, all the you know the typical uh, um, infrastructure ki- kind of needs you know uh, that are there. I'm really fortunate in that the technical work I'm doing is, is real closely uh, related to directly related to ministry to getting the gospel to, to people um, you know and there's uh, you know other examples of that not just what I do I mean places like HCJB and uh, uh, you know need, need engineers uh, electrical engineers um, for the for the kind of work they do um, whatever somebody's skills are however God has gifted them they can he can use them in mission somewhere some somehow uh, I, I think that missions um, is it's, it's a calling, perhaps, but but I think it's the desire. If God gives you a desire to do that, I think that's the call. The reason I have called you and am re-interviewing you is because somebody contacted me and said they wanted to hear what's going on in your life. You. You know who that person was. I certainly don't, other than an email. Is there a story there? There is, yeah, um, which I, I think you'll be happy to hear. Um, I certainly was. Uh, Laura, so Laura and uh, Tony Macias uh, heard the interview you and I did uh, the first time back in February of 08, and that was kind of the impetus for them to start investigating missions in, in, in MAF. Um, and I'm uh, uh, happy uh, to tell you that they are, in fact, joining MAF. They'll be here uh, in July for uh, for the July candidacy. That's great. Can you give us uh, websites where we can go and get more information about you and your ministry? The general MAF website is maf.org. The learning technologies website is maflt.org. And um, you can find uh, a page about us at maf.org slash roads, R-H-O-A-D-S, and there's a support link there. Our blog, finally, uh, is at ontheroads.org. Very good. And I'll have a link to all of those at the Missionary Talks website. So anybody can go to missionarytalks.com and get all of those different websites there. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me, Brad, once again. As we close, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, there's often an idea of, you know, real missionaries go to Africa and uh, that kind of thing. Um, and I'd really like to see churches embracing a theology of missions that comes from the idea that we're the body um, and that every part of the body is equally important. So whatever your gift is, God can use it. And hopefully you know, you'll find people to, uh, to support you in that. But you know, if, if it is uh, you know, technical things, it's, it's a bit more of a struggle uh, because it's harder for people to, I think, 
to see the importance of it, to see, to see that uh, you know, the people doing the direct evangelism can't be doing what they're doing without the people behind them to, to get them there and get the materials there. So, again, if there's an idea, if you have gotten an idea, if God's giving you a desire for missions, to pursue it, even if uh, you see or can't necessarily see how your other gifting may be directly used, because if you're willing and, and pursue it, I think God will give you the gift of, of being a missionary. That's how I look at missions. There's the idea of a calling, and I think there there is that, but I think more than that, it, it's a it's a gift to be to be a missions. You've been listening to Missionary Talks with David Peach. Please visit us at missionarytalks.com.